We're going to read James chapter 1, starting in verse 9. We're going to read the scripture and then we're going to pray. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is The Prince and the Pauper. Let's read along together. It says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Heavenly Father, as we approach you tonight and approach your word, we want to be diligent in our hearing. We want to be diligent in our seeking. Lord, as we open the book of James tonight, Lord, it can be difficult on our own strength to find out what it is that you have to say to us. But Lord, we would pray that you would speak to us, Lord, about our, the very things that we treasure in our hearts tonight. Lord, you would convict us if there's need of conviction. You would encourage us if we need encouraging. Lord, that we could glory in our exaltation if we be a poor brother or sister tonight. And we, Lord, even glory in our humiliation if we be uh, wealthy. And so, Lord... We seek you tonight, not ourselves, but we're pursuing after you and your righteousness. And we pray these things, Lord, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a man named Daniel Swellow. I'm going to read this thing to you and then we'll talk about it. Daniel Swellow is 51 years old and broke, happily broke, consciously deliberately, blessedly broke. Not only does he not have debt, a mortgage, or rent, he does not even earn a salary. Nor does he buy food or clothes or own any product with a lowercase i before it. Home is a cave on public land outside Moab, Utah. He scavenges for food from the garbage or off the land, and he has been known to carve up and boil fresh roadkill. He also bathes without soap in the creek. In the fall of 2000, Swallow decided to stop using money altogether. That meant no conscious barter, food stamps, or other government handouts. His mission was to use only what is freely given or discarded and what was already present and already running. The question many people wonder, is he insane or a mooch or simply dedicated to leading a simple, honest, dare we say, Christ-like existence? He was born into an evangelical Christian home in Grand Junction, Colorado, and he took his religion seriously. Eventually, he started, started wondering why professed Christians rarely followed the teachings of Jesus, namely the Sermon on the Mount, namely giving up possessions, living beyond credit and debt, freely giving and freely taking, giving, expecting nothing in return, forgiving all debts, owing, a, owing nobody a thing, living beyond payback of either evil for evil or good for good, living and walking without guilt, without grudge, and without judgment, etc., uh, by the works of the true nature flowing through, he said. So here's this guy. I got this off Yahoo News. Uh, this guy lives without spending anything. And he says, I'm just following what Jesus told the rich young ruler to do, which is to sell all of your possessions and follow me. That's what he said, right? So here's the question. In talking to the rich young ruler, did Jesus expect all of us to give up all of our possessions. What do you think? 
When you read that passage, for those of you that don't know it, in Matthew 19, it talks about Jesus is walking along and then there's a rich young ruler who's got it all. He's got it all figured out, got it all planned, but he wants to know, good teacher, how can I in- inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And he's questioning these things. And uh, the rich young ruler says, well, I've kept all the commandments. I've done everything I can. And he says, well, sell all your possessions and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler had to turn away depressed because he couldn't fulfill that command. So are we as Christians supposed to follow that very same command? Are you supposed to sell everything you have? Sell all your clothes, sell all your goods, and just live this existence uh, where you don't buy or sell anything? I think the answer is obviously no, because if we did, we'd all be worse off, right? No one would survive if no one bought or sold anything. So obviously, the money in itself is not evil. And what Jesus was pointing out to the rich man, and this is the thing that we need to focus in on for tonight, is Jesus pointed out that the richest man's possessions were in the way of finding true treasure. What is that true treasure? What do you think? Raise your hand. What do you think the true treasure was that the rich man was unable to find? Anybody? Anybody? This is the pre-K answer. Jesus. Thank you. Jesus pointed out that the rich man, he was pursuing something that he had to give up ultimately. That was actually keeping him away from true treasure, and that was Jesus himself. He was blind to the fact that Jesus was the true treasure that he was looking for. So a question I need to start off off with you tonight is, what is it that you treasure? The rich man was called to give up his possessions. It's because he found his security in his possessions. But maybe Jesus would say to you tonight, you are to give up the thing that you find security in if it's not Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask you, what is it that you find is your treasure? What is it that you find your security in? Because the Bible challenges what we think is worth pursuing. The Bible challenges the very things that we think is worth pursuing. We might think, well, are possessions bad? And I would say no, of course not. The Bible doesn't say that things in in and of themselves are bad, but the Bible says do not covet. What is coveting? Well, being jealous, wanting what other people have. So the question I'll ask you is, are you pursuing possessions? I find that coveting is one of the most difficult things to keep yourself from. I think coveting is one of those sins that you just, you always know you're going to fail at that because there's always things that you want. There's things in the world that you want, things that other people have that you want, whether it's fame or status, or maybe it's a relationship. Or maybe it's just the fact that someone else is happy and you're not happy. We always covet other people's things. And I think that could be a byproduct because of the fact that many Americans are born with this sense of entitlement. We in America are born thinking, I deserve to be happy. We as Americans are born thinking, I need stuff. And not just good stuff, you need the perfect stuff. It's not enough to just be known by your friends. You need to be known by people that don't even know who you are. 
You need to start your own YouTube channel and get more likes by people that have no idea who you are as a person. And not just a thousand views or two thousand views. You need more than your other friend who's famous. So we're always competing against each other. We're always coveting what someone else has. Neil Gabler of the Boston Globe in observing this says, the dream is no longer about seizing opportunity, that is the American dream, but about realizing perfection. The career has to be perfect, the wife has to be perfect, the children have to be perfect, the home has to be perfect, the car has to be perfect, the social circle has to be perfect, everything has to be perfect. And you'll see in, in media and advertisements, it's always telling you what you don't have. And now it, they're even more clever than ever because they'll look at your search history. What is it that you look for on Amazon.com? We'll tell you what you're lacking. We'll tell you what you don't have yet. On Facebook, they'll have those ads that are related to you. And you always get creeped out. It's almost, almost like offensive when you get those ones that are like, are you single and looking for someone? It's like, well, I am single, but leave me alone. I don't need a relationship. These advertisements always tell you what you don't have. I remember when I, I won uh, the quick check competition. I've been learning this like every sermon for the past three weeks, but I'm reminiscing on the best part of my life. So I remember I, I won $1,500 on a quick check gift card. And when you have $1,500 on a gift card to one store, you start walking into that store not, no longer thinking, I'm hungry and I need this. You start looking around the entire store saying, what, what don't I have that I need? I, like, I looked throughout the store, like Roy remembers, I would take him in, it's like, what do you want? We can buy anything we want in this store. And so like, it was no longer needs, it was just like, what do I feel like getting? And I would just buy stuff for the heck of buying it. Ads would tell you, uh, you need Botox, or you know, you're starting to get older now, and being 16, you're pretty old, you need Botox, and <laughs> advertisements will tell you that you're getting a little chubby, you need to start like, that's another discouraging thing because they'll have the things on the side like, are you overweight? I'm like, no, I'm not. It's disappointing. I think it's kind of like when, uh, I mean, the media kind of acts like back when uh, the fall happened and God was talking to Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve sinned and the first thing they, they realized is that they were naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? And it's like a really creepy question, I guess, but... But they didn't know that they needed anything until Sin pointed out there's something that you don't have. They didn't need clothes back in the day. I'm glad they do now, but <laughs> moving right along. You know, a lot of pastors preach, on, especially on television, that you can have your best life now. You can achieve all of your goals and dreams now here on this earth. Which is kind of silly if you think about it. It's really sad. If this is your best life now, heaven's going to be very boring. They would say things like, you deserve better. And so the minute that you're thinking about this entitlement and it's not being fulfilled in real life, you start thinking about things like divorce. You think, well, I'm entitled to better things, better people. This relationship is dragging me down when I know I'm, I, I'm destined for greatness. And so you start discarding all off all your friends that are weighing you down or discouraging because you have something special inside of you and you deserve better than that. I think this is a form of Christian materialism. And what I mean by that is materialism 
in the social sense and in the economic sense is when people focus on things that are material, focus on products and goods and commodities. And Americans might be materialistic in that sense, but there's a philosophical materialism which, which believes that the physical world is all there is. It's very different from that materialism, but in the same sense, materialism is the belief that the physical world is all there is. There are no spiritual things, there are no angels, there are no gods, there are no spirits, there is no soul. And sometimes us Christians as, can believe that the physical world is all there is and we're living only for the life here on this earth. We'll focus all of our energy and time into the things of this world. And because of that, because of our culture, we started hiding the poor. No longer do we see poverty on the, te on the television screens. You never see on uh, commercials, you see the homeless people. You never see on the news homeless people talking about their lives. You always see the best. You see the greatest. You see celebrities. We're starting to hide the dead people. We hire morticians to go and discard of all the dead bodies back when... In the Jewish times, you had to bury your own dead. If your father died, you picked him up and you, had to and you had to bury him. And though you were unclean for a while, you couldn't offer sacrifices, you had to take care of that business. But we've so far removed death from ourselves that it's never even on our mind. And when people die, it's a surprise. Wow, someone died, just like everyone else. We're starting to put, take these things that are important and push them off to the side. Because the only things we want to think about as American uh, Americans is that we want to think about life here on this earth and we want to think about what matters to us as we are entitled. We go so, as, so far to say that we've hired abortionists. Now think about abortion. It's people that say that my rights are more important than a human life. They're saying that I deserve happiness and if this child inside of me is going to weigh me down, I'll call it a bunch of cells, I'll call it what I need to, and I'll get rid of it if I have to so that I can be living a better life because I'm entitled to greatness. You didn't realize that's one step away from genocide? You realize that's people saying that they want to build their own utopia like Hitler did? Where he says, I imagine a community where we don't have those people, where we don't have people that weigh us down. We can build this perfect society here on this earth. And ladies and gentlemen, that won't happen. You know why? Because this world is full of sinful people. We like keeping the poor people out there in a country far away so that we can take mission trips over there and help them out for the betterment of ourselves. And we go and donate our money. And we say, oh, well, I bought my Frappuccino at Starbucks and 10% uh, of it went to help people in Africa. So we feel good about ourselves that we're doing something. It's all about me, the me generation, some people have called it. And because of this entitlement, some Christians have taken this as well. And because of this, we take this sense of entitlement and we place it on God. So maybe it's not even the material things, but we'll place our expectations of what God should fulfill on Him. And we'll say things like, well, I'll follow the commandments. I'll do these things because God promised me He would give me this stuff in the end. Or maybe you've heard, hey, you should be pure until ma marriage. You should... Uh, you should be abstinent until marriage. And if you do that, God's going to give you a great sex life. That's great every time. You hear these promises, do this so that you inherit this. Give to the poor and God will make you prosper. That's why you should tithe of 10% of all you have. Because if you do that, God's going to do nice things for you too. 
And David, looking at this in Psalms, writes, why do the wicked prosper? Why is it that it seems that the people that are good always get trampled on the dirt? They're always persecuted. They always go through sufferings. And the wicked are the ones at the top. The wicked are the ones that are making all the money. So in the midst of this, the Ten Commandments say, don't covet those things thou shalt not covet. And when we are jealous of other people, we're telling God that he isn't fair. When we're jealous of other people, we're telling God, hey, what you've given me, what my portion is from you, is not good enough. You made a mistake. And we're forgetting the very fact that God has placed us in the situations we are in for a sovereign circumstance and for a sovereign reason. The reason you grew up in America and not Africa is so that you'd be positioned in such a place so that you could not only maximize your uh, time here on earth, but so that you could be closest to God. And we learn that from Acts chapter 17. That God positions everyone sovereignly in the place that they are in so that they would be able to find him, though he's not far from any one of us. You realize that almost half the people in the world... There's a number, there's a 2.2 billion children in the world and 1 billion are in poverty. Almost half the children in the world are in poverty. And what I mean by that is over 3 billion people live on less than 200, uh, 200. over 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. That's it. That's all their expenses per day. And because we live in America, though it's not bad to have possessions, though it's not evil to have money, we have a calling on our life, a unique calling, an opportunity to use the resources God has given us. The reason you live in America is so that you could use your resources for the sake of God. But the thing is, we have resources and we want more. We have things and we're still pursuing after, after other things and we're, we say it's not enough. So the question is, are you pursuing God or are you pursuing earthly treasures? What are you pursuing? What is your treasure? What is the thing that you're chasing after? We may say with our mouth, oh, I'm pursuing God. Oh, I come to youth group. Isn't that enough? Oh, I listen to Alan's Bible studies, although they bore me all the time. I do everything I can to pursue God. I spend five minutes in, in the morning reading my Bible. Isn't that enough? I think our lives often prove otherwise. Think about your shopping habits. How many of us buy things that you don't really need? You don't have to raise your hands. You guys are, you guys are the holy people. They're like, I, I've committed sin. They're good people. How many of us buy things that you don't really need? I'm guilty of this every single day. Amazon.com. It's just like so easy to buy stuff because I have Amazon Prime. Free shipping and free return shipping. You don't like what you just bought? It's just as easy to cancel it. It's really bad. You probably don't have the problem because you don't have a credit card yet. But when you do, beware. I remember shortly after high school and I was allowed to use my money a little bit more freely, I remember I bought this one pen that was a $200 pen. Now... Let me tell you why I bought this pen. First of all, okay, so th there's this pen that when you write with it, it records audio. And it has like this mini, mini camera in it so that it like has this special paper and it records audio at the same time as you're writing stuff down so that if you just tap on the paper, it plays back audio at the same time you're writing that. 
So if you're like in class and you're listening to a lecture, you write down something and you like miss something, you could tap back on the paper and it plays back audio of what your professor said so that you can remember it. And it sounded like the greatest pen in the world. So I was like, yeah, I'll pay $200. And I like, in the same week, I got like a ticket for speeding or something and I had like no money at all. And my friends were like, why did you buy a $200 pen? I was like, it's gonna be useful. It's for my grades at school. And so to this day, that was about, I don't know, six years ago. To this day, I've used it once. It's still like the thorn in my flesh that I prayed would go away three times and it hasn't gone away. It's so sad. My friends are like, I told you that pen was worthless. I was like, but you don't understand. It's like, this is shortly before you're allowed to bring laptops to school. And as, as soon as you're allowed to bring laptops to school, it's like pointless. It's like, just type on your computer, you don't need it. But one day I'll find a use for that pen. How many of us waste our time with relationships that really we're pursuing after these relationships and it shows the position of our heart? We, we prove how little we value our own personal growth with God when we have low spiritual standards, standards for the person that we date. You prove how much you're not pursuing God when you say, well, this person isn't really a Christian, but there's that, I mean, look at his abs. Great guy. <laughs> Same thing goes with our time. Sometimes we say, oh, I'll give God all of my day. And we wind up giving him five minutes and wonder why things aren't working out the way that we planned. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Did you know that you can determine the condition of somebody's heart by what they pursue after? You can determine the position of someone's heart and the condition of their heart by what they pursue after. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the problem of possessions, earthly possessions. All of it is going to rust. All of it is going to be destroyed. Anything that you can think of that is here on this earth, that is earthly and physical, is going to be destroyed one day. No matter what you put your time into, maybe you have, you just got your license and you, like, when I first got my license, I had a Porsche 944, and I loved that car. I thought it was amazing. Like, I loved to work on it until... Everything went haywire in it, and there was like $200 to replace tiny little bulbs and stuff. I was just like, ugh, stressed out. And that was the problem. At first, it was a great car. I loved driving it. But the minute that thing started failing, it was like, I couldn't even tell you how stressed out this thing made me. The fact that there's like no one that could work on this car anymore, like I bring it to Marvin's, and then he like stressed out. He pulled out his hair. He's like, I don't know. It's German. It's a German car. I can't figure it out. I'm like, I'm sorry, Marvin. And then he'd be like, oh, I'll get to it. And like, Literally, there was a time in which he waited six weeks before he even looked at the car. And this was my treasure. This was everything that I, like, I knew. I washed it, I polished it, I waxed it. This is everything that I was like, I valued. And my wife's just like, yeah, I'll get to it in six weeks. And it just, it made you frustrated. I had to go on forums and spend so much time trying to figure out, how do I fix this thing? And it reminds you that no matter what you trust in that's a possession, it's going to fail one day. If it's not God, 
it will fail you one day in one way or another. And the question is, are you going to be fading just as the things of this world are fading? The possessions of this world are fading. And so are the people that chase after them. So that's the thing that you have to remember tonight is just as possessions of this world are fading, the person who pursues them fades as well. A.W. Tozer said, There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could do. They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. So maybe you have been t- you've been putting too much stock in your earthly possessions and earthly things. How would you know? You ready for the test? You ready to see if you are that person that's pursuing after earthly things? Here's the test. Does the second coming of Jesus excite you or worry you? Does the second coming of Jesus worry you or excite you? I just reversed them. Maybe you're the person that says, but Jesus, you can come back. Just wait till I get married. Jesus, you can come back, but let me just, let me do this thing first. I don't know what else there is to do that you're really like pushing back the second coming of Jesus, like heaven and the rest of eternity. Jesus is really going to wait and be like, oh man, I would come back, but she really wants to get married. So I better wait. I mean, people are dying of starvation and people are killing each other over there, but I'm going to wait for that person. Not married yet. Andrew Murray says that we prove the value we attach to things by the time we devote to them. And if you spend more time in the things of this world, pursuing after the things of this world, you have all your plans, you say, Jesus, just honor these plans that I have before me. I have my whole life set before me. I want to go to this college and do this thing. Please honor it. And Jesus says, why? Why can't I just do what I want to do? Like, Jesus, you can, just not here. You can do what you want to do. Your will can be done here on earth, just not in this area. Just wait. The Bible says in James that the rich man will fade away in his pursuits. And what it's talking about there, literally, in verse 11, where it says, when the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits, it's talking about the rich man in his business trip, in his ambition, saying, I got this plan to make all this money, I'm going to do all this thing, and then he dies. That's it, the end of his life. How do you account for the day of your death? You can't, because only God knows the day in which you die. No matter who you are, you don't know the day in which you leave this earth. Only God does, and that's why we have to trust Him and pursue after Him, because our time is limited. People around us are dying every day. Not trying to depress you, but it's like every single day a kid is shot. Like, when did this happen? We don't know the day that we leave this earth, so it only makes sense to pursue after Jesus and not the fading riches of this world. You may have your, your plan to a T. I know exactly how I'm going to get rich. I know exactly how I'm going to get the right woman. I know exactly how I'm going to plan out the rest of my life. And then you die. 
And then what happens to all of your possessions? What happens to all of your plans? You're left to nothing because they fade away in all of your pursuits. In contrast to this, the Bible says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Though it sounds weird because you think of poor people, the, the lowly brother talking about the Christian who is low in socioeconomic status, the person who is viewed as poor. How is this person that is poor looked upon in exaltation? How does he glory in that? Well, though he may lack physically, God will raise him up spiritually. If you skip over to verse 5 of chapter 2, he elaborates by saying, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? The poor of this world are to be inheritors of the kingdom. And that's the purpose for which he has us as Christians. So the temptation of both the poor and rich alike is to focus on your earthly circumstances. Because if you're poor, you're wallowing in your misery. If you're rich, you're glorying in your riches. And the Bible challenges that assumption by asking you, where do you put your treasure? Because if you're poor and you're rich in Christ, that's all you need. If you're rich and you put all of your stock in your riches here on this earth, you're going to be left with nothing in the end. But if you're rich and you glory in your humiliation, knowing that the day you die, all of your possessions stay here on this earth and you're going to be left with nothing, if you're okay with that, Jesus is going to give you something much more in the end. The Bible tells us that we Christians can be content with what we have when we value ourselves in light of how Jesus values us. Ephesians 1 verse 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. If you're a Christian here today, realize that God has given up everything for you. He gave up his God powers to come down on this earth for a limited time as Jesus came down to this earth gave up all of his riches and didn't come as a king he came as a babe in a manger against everyone's expectations of how God should come to this earth he came in the lowly place as a servant washing his disciples feet gave up his riches so that he could inherit us as his people Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to just go through some verses here and I want you to key in on those. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to go through verses 6 through 19. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 through 19. I'm going to give you three applications on how you can be pursuing God. I'm going to give you three applications for what we learned tonight. In light of James, in light of acknowledging that our earthly riches have nothing to do with our heavenly riches and treasure that we will inherit one day. First one starts in verse 6. Paul says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just godliness... But just, and not just contentment, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, 
and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. When's the last time that you said, oh, all I need is food and clothing, I'll be fine. It's always something else, isn't it? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The first application is to be content. To be content. Realize that when we leave this world, as he says, you're not going to be able to carry anything with you when you leave, right? You never see a hearse followed by a moving truck, as people say. When you die, it's not like you can carry some stuff. You're like, but I really want my cat. You like hold on to your cat and you're just like, God beams you up to heaven and your cat comes with you. (laughs) That'd be really weird, actually. (laughs) Oh, the things I would do if the Lord just let me. (laughs) Because we can't carry anything with us to heaven besides our soul, it's important to realize what goes into honing your identity, what goes into honing your very soul. Now, can your earthly possessions have any effect on how you uh, build your identity? No, it can't. You can't carry your riches. You can't carry your money into heaven. And what would you even do if you did? You bring up your money to heaven and God's like, well, that's great, but I have mansions for everyone else. So you're kind of like the poor guy here. It wouldn't make much sense. But we are to build our identity on what is eternal. Because you can't build your identity on what is temporary. You can't hone your skills and abilities and soul on what is here on this earth. It has nothing to do with your soul and your character. Everything that you leave behind when you die is things that are temporary, but the things that you bring with you are eternal. And those things can only be found in verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, Patience, gentleness, these things, these are qualities that you bring with you to heaven when you die. It's not like people have thought before where maybe you've thought this too, that you die and you have like memory loss. You get to heaven and you're like, wow, how did I get here? This is all the former things have passed away. I just don't remember anything at all. And then you're in like this transient state for the rest of eternity where you're just kind of like worshiping Jesus, like singing holy, holy, holy. It's just like a timeless state. It's not necessarily like that. The things that you do here on this earth will affect how you live out eternity. The way you hone your character now will affect your person in eternity. The way you store your treasures now affects where you receive them later. If you store up all your treasures here on earth, you're not going to have anything. But if you store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not eat or destroy, you'll have things and treasures in heaven. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold onto eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who, who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords. Potentate just means prince, by the way. Who alone has immortality, dwelling in the unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Do you realize when you pursue after God, you inherit Jesus? That's why we pursue after God. Not because it's like this goose chase or not just because like we're chasing after God. It's like, well, we never really catch him. When you pursue after God, you inherit Jesus when you inherit eternal life. That's why we, like Jesus, confess the good confession in a multitude of witnesses because Jesus himself, when he was before Pontius Pilate, confessed that he was God. We also follow suit in him, confessing in the presence of witnesses that he is God. We follow after him because he is our Lord and we, we inherit him when we inherit eternal life. Look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives, all, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O oh, Timothy, Guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. So I left out the la uh, second application, which was pursue Jesus. And that falls in to number three, which is use your possessions for Jesus. So you're to be content. You're to pursue Jesus and use your possessions for Jesus. When you're chasing after God, you realize that he gives us richly all things to enjoy, not just in heaven, but here on this earth as well. That doesn't mean that you just become lazy all of a sudden. And you're just like, well, I don't need to be diligent with my taxes. I don't need to do anything with money anymore. I'm just going to be like that weirdo that I introed in the beginning. I'm not saying that. When you focus on Jesus and the eternal, what it does is it causes a reaction and it causes a change in how you view possessions. When you are pursuing Jesus, it doesn't cause you to necessarily discard all your possessions. It causes you to radically look at your possessions differently. Because now, because Jesus is everything to you and you inherit Jesus, you don't need these things so you can freely give them to other people. And you can use them for God's glory. You can use your possessions for Jesus because you realize that Jesus fulfills every single need that you have. You don't need money so you can give it to other people. You don't need to hold on tightly saying, I can't tithe 10%. This is so difficult. How will I have lunch money next, next week? You're like, I don't really care because I know that God's going to provide for birds. He's going to provide for me. He's my Heavenly Father. I don't need anything from this world and because I don't need anything from this world, I can freely give the things that I do have that God has given me. So in the end, when Jesus does come back, we will be able to inherit Jesus himself. And during that time, we can be diligent with the things that we do have. We can be good stewards of the things that he's given us to be good stewards of. But when we do, we will inherit everything that we've been looking for. So none of the possessions that we have now are ends in themselves. They're means to an end. The means to the end of Jesus. So let me ask you as we close here tonight, what is keeping you away from your pursuit of Jesus? 
What is keeping you away from your pursuit of Jesus? Maybe it isn't uh, possessions in the strict sense. But maybe it's your need to possess. Maybe it's your need to possess control of other people. Control of your situations. Maybe it's the need to possess control of your life. Your life is just out of control. You don't know what to do with it. And your family situation is out of control. You don't know what to do with that either. Your need to possess things of this world. And God would say to you tonight that I am all you need. Jesus is there to, to, to fill every single need you have. But the thing is you have to surrender your control to him. Maybe there's something that's in the way of you coming to Jesus tonight. Maybe there's something that you have to surrender. Maybe you're like the rich man. The rich young ruler who says, Jesus, I've fulfilled all the Ten Commandments. I've kept my life blameless. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, go sell all that you have. The thing that you value most important, the thing that would even keep you from the second coming of Jesus because you want that thing to happen first before he comes back. Jesus would say, that thing is the most important to you and I want you to give it to me. And maybe you're thinking right now, well, he's probably not talking about this because that's not what he said. Maybe that is the thing that you have to give up tonight. Maybe you are holding someone or something in the place of God and God would say to you tonight, give it to me. By giving that thing to me, you inherit eternal life. By giving that thing to me, you store up treasures in heaven where moth do not eat and rust does not destroy. And if you get this, if you get this point, it will transform the entire way that you view life on this earth. It will transform the way that you view relationships, the way that you view your money, the way that you view your possessions, the way you view other people, because they are never the end of the story. This is only one chapter of the rest of eternity. And we are to live our lives here dynamically for the Lord because we know that if we exhaust ourselves here on the life in this earth here now, that we'll have the restoration in eternity. You know, if we're breaking down our muscles here on earth, he's going, to be retur- he's going to be giving us the rest that we need to rebuild those muscles for all of eternity. He can be our very rest itself and our shelter. And you might think, well, what you're asking me to do is impossible. How could I possibly give up this dream I have? How can I possibly give up this aspiration I have? This is everything I've devoted my life to. How could I give up that one thing? You know, that's the very question that Jesus' disciples asked after the rich young ruler had to run away. In Matthew 19, let me just read it to you. Then Jesus said to his disciples after the guy left, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they didn't think, wow, that sounds pretty easy. Like, you've probably heard the illustrations before, like, the needle was really a gate. And the camels could go through the gate, but it was just very difficult. No, he's talking about, like, this and a big camel. He's like, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples are like, what? I think we can do it. I think, no, we can't do that. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. So the disciples heard it, and they're greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
You see, you might be thinking, it's impossible for me to give up this one thing that I am holding so dearly onto. But Jesus would say to you, with man, it is impossible. It is impossible to give up your dreams and aspirations apart from God. But with God, anything is possible. If you allow Him to take control of your life. If you allow Him to be your security. You don't have to worry about your future. You don't have to worry about the things ahead of you. Because God Himself is planning your way for you. And Jesus said to them, after uh, actually verse 27, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what do we get? What shall we have, Jesus? And Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. So what he says here is you're going to gain, whatever you give up for God, God will give back to you, not only here, but in the life eternal afterwards as well. You see, you really have nothing to lose, but if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake of Jesus will find it. And that's only the place that you can find true joy and happiness. You might be looking for joy and happiness in the things of this world, and you're always going to come up short because the things of this world were never designed to fulfill you. Only God is there, and only God can satisfy that need that you have inside of your heart. 